Last time we were in Hebrews, which as I said was a little while ago, we looked at the first uh, three verses. And uh, the first three verses of uh, Hebrews chapter 3. Uh, we see here that the title of Apostle and High Priest is applied to the Lord Jesus Christ. That word Apostle comes from the Greek word to, to send out. And so this means that uh, Jesus was sent from God, the Father, for a purpose. As with the Twelve Apostles, uh, the Arch Apostle Jesus is obedient to him who sent him, uh, God the Father. And of course this requires a loving response from Christ to the loving authority with which he is sent. Jesus is perfect in his obedience and his submission. And what this uh, uh, shows us is the nature of all relationships where there is this authority structure. The faithfulness of Christ is on display here, as he is perfectly faithful to the Father. He submits perfectly to him, to the will of the Father, even though it's hard. It's hard for him to do that. He has to persevere through some uh, suffering and, uh, and adversity, and yet he is faithful and perfectly faithful. He, it shows his dependability and his determination. And the author of Hebrews is showing the readers uh, the faithfulness of Christ. He's, he's really putting it on display for them in those first three verses so that they can follow his example in their faith as well. He points out the faithfulness of Moses, uh, that while, while it was not perfect, it was also a good example. You know, we are called to be faithful stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, we are reminded here of our responsibility to be faithful uh, to follow the example of Christ who was faithful in his calling. So that's just a, a quick review of the first three verses of Hebrews. Now we're going to look at uh, Hebrews 3 verses 3 to 6. The first point there in your outlines is Moses' faithfulness. Now this third chapter of Hebrews shows the superiority of Christ to Moses and outlines the reasons why Christ is superior. Firstly, uh, we, we know all about Moses, don't we? He's one of the great characters of the Old Testament. Um, it's a story that uh, we know so well. Uh, even the, the kids at Sunday school are taught that from an early age um, and, and has much to teach us. His, his life is remarkable from his birth and rescue from Pharaoh's edict uh, you know, to kill all the Jewish male babies. His uh, upbringing in the royal uh, palace of the Egyptians then his exile for 40 years, then his return to Egypt to free the nation of Israel from bondage. Now, these are all familiar things to us. You know, we can see the hand of God upon the life of Moses all throughout. And it's good because we see Moses grow into this great leader. You know, he starts off, you know, in a very kind of strange way and he has some, you know, uh, some difficulty along the way and then he just grows into this great leader. Yet he remains simply a servant of God. And uh, numerous times in the Pentateuch, which Moses himself wrote, uh, we see that. Exodus chapter 14 and verse 31, I think I've got that in your outline there, it says, And Israel saw the great work which the Lord did upon the Egyptians, and the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. So Moses thought of himself as a servant, not as a great leader. Now, he was serving God in, in that capacity uh, as a leader. 
And as a servant, Moses was required to be faithful to his master. And of course, we see many examples of Moses' faithfulness uh, throughout those uh, first five books of the Bible. The last part of Hebrews chapter chapter 3 and verse 2, which says, uh, As also Moses was faithful in all his house, uh, is is likely a reference to Numbers 12 and verse 7, which says, My servant Moses is not so who is faithful in all mine house. So he's reminding them of these things in the Old Testament, about the faithfulness of Moses, about the things that Moses did. And that faithfulness that we see in Moses is contrasted with the unfaithfulness of the nation of Israel. Uh, And and we see that later in in chapter 3 of of Hebrews. They rebelled, and again, we know all those stories quite well. I kind of feel sorry for Moses because he had such an unruly bunch of people to lead. You know, as as a leader... It's hard when you have to lead people that don't really want to be led. I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, uh, whether it's at work or sometimes at home with the kids who don't want to be led by their parents. It's hard, isn't it? Well, Moses did that for 40 years. Uh, he led around these bunch of people and, uh, and, and did his best. But of course, Moses himself was not without fault. And we know the, the, the various examples of his lack of obedience to God. I guess the most notable example is when Moses uh, you know, strikes the rock to bring water from it instead of uh, speaking to it as God had commanded him. And for that he suffered the consequences. So the author of Hebrews is highlighting the faithfulness of Moses because he, he wants the readers to understand the context and the warnings that come uh, later on in this chapter. You know, these uh, the, the readers, the original readers of the book of Hebrews, the, the first century Hebrew Christians, uh, were in the same situation as the Israelites who came out of the land of Egypt. Uh, in Hebrews uh, chapter 3, verses 7 to 19, uh, you know, the latter half of the, uh, the, the chapter... This becomes quite clear. Moses' faithfulness is contrasted with the faithlessness of the nation of Israel. They were rebellious and prone to wandering away from God. But Moses, on the other hand, he he was steadfast for the most part. Sure, he had his problems. Uh, He was not perfectly faithful to God, but he he was steadfast. Uh, He failed on many occasions. Uh, And and this in itself makes for a a contrast with the perfect faithfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ, who never, ever failed in his duty. Not only this, but we see in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 3, that Moses is simply part of God's house. He's a servant within the house of God. It says in Hebrews 3.3, For this man was counted worthy of more glory than Moses, inasmuch as he who hath built the house hath more honour than the house. Moses is just a part of the house. He's a servant. Whereas the Lord Jesus Christ is the the builder of the house. And so has more honour than the house itself. And in verse 4 we see that uh, he that built all things is God. So he's making that connection that, well, Jesus built the house and he who built all things is God. So therefore, 
Jesus is God. So Christ is superior to Moses, not only because he built the house that Moses was a part of, but because he built all things, he is God himself. He's also the son of God. He's, as the son, he is over the house as well. Uh, Hebrews 3 verse 6, but Christ as a son over his own house. The author of Hebrews, uh, certainly in this chapter, he doesn't point out all the negative aspects of Moses' life. He doesn't point out his mistakes, uh, his failures uh, of obedience, but rather he lifts up Christ to the reader. He puts Jesus first and, and he highlights the superior attributes of the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, uh, uh, this is a reminder that we ought to do the same thing when we're speaking to others about Christ. Uh, sometimes it can be easy to, to just criticise other people's cherished beliefs, whether it be atheism, Buddhism, Catholicism. Uh, we can become very critical of their beliefs, where we ought to be primarily bringing forth the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfection before them. That's, that's our primary objective as Christians, is to not just to criticise people and their beliefs, but to bring them Christ. Okay, that's far better. When we focus upon the superiority of Christ... Uh, and, and we bring people the Lord Jesus Christ and his perfection, then they will see the inferiority of their own false beliefs. They will realise that they're wrong. So our job is to bring Christ before them. And so we come to the second point, the house of Christ. In this chapter, Hebrews chapter 3, the author uses the analogy of a house to describe the people of God. Collectively, We are the house of God. And Christ is over the house of God as the Son of God. Moses was merely a servant in the house, but Jesus is the Son who rules over the house. Now this this same analogy that we see in Hebrews chapter 3 is is seen all throughout the Bible, both in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. And I think we're we're fairly familiar with this, this concept of of a spiritual household that we belong to. 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 15 says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. So here the house of God is identified as the church of the living God. So, uh, you know, our local church, uh, the universal church, and so forth. We all collectively are the house of God. Uh, 1 Peter 2.5 says, Ye also as living lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We also see the, this, this same concept of, um, of the house used when we see uh, you know, things like edifying, edification, how we're edified it comes from the same Greek word as, as a house. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 12 says, Even so ye, for as much as ye are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek that ye may excel to the edifying, there's that word, of the church. We also see it in the Old Testament, Psalm 27 verse 4. says, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, 
to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. So he, the, the psalmist there is not just talking about the physical temple or the, the place where they worshipped, but he's talking about that collective uh, unity in the house of God. I really like this analogy of, of the house of God because it's something that we can all relate to. You know, we all live in houses, all of us here, uh, every day. Uh, our house is where we're safe. Uh, it's where we're comfortable. Uh, it's where there's warmth. Uh, there is friendship. There is family. There is rest. And, uh, you know, we love to come home, don't we? You know, if you've been away for a long time on a long trip and um, you've been sleeping in an uncomfortable, you know, hotel or on the ground camping, it's great to just come home. And, you know, to be in your own bed, to be around your own people and to, to feel comfortable and safe. Of course, this, these characteristics should be reflected in our spiritual home as well. Uh, we should feel safe and comfortable. We should feel at rest and at peace. And, uh, you know, we, we see this when we're gathering together as saints uh, in the local church assembly on Sunday. Or, or maybe at other times uh, when we meet. And, uh, you know, I don't, I don't want to get too sentimental or touchy-feely, but... Uh, you know, church gatherings should feel like we are coming home in that sense. And, uh, and yet this is not just, you know, mere sentimentality or emotionalism. It should be a result of correct doctrine and obedience to Christ. Think about it. You know, we're, we're, we're out in the world, you know, we're, we're, we're faced with, you know, pe- you know, people that don't really like us as Christians, don't understand us, where we're coming from. Um, and when we come to church, we can just relax. You know, we can be ourselves. We can say the things that are really in our hearts. Because, uh, you know, if you try to talk to an unbeliever about spiritual things, they don't understand. They don't know what we're talking about. It's like talking to a brick wall sometimes. But we're, when we're around other Christians, you know, these are our people. You know, we can relate to each other. Uh, we, we, we can talk to each other, we can tell each other things that we wouldn't necessarily tell other people. And again, it's a result of correct doctrine and obedience to Christ. We are not to be judgmental of other people in the church. We're not to gossip or be uh, backbiters, but we're to be kind to one another. That's, that's what the Bible tells us. Uh, We're to be respectful and courteous. Uh, And of course that that applies to not just people in the church, people outside the church as well. A church is not some kind of uh, competition where we pretend to have it more together than the person in the next pew. Or or that our family is better than the other family that comes to church. You know, it's not something that we compare when, when when we come to church. Well, I hope not anyway. We know that we all have our struggles in life. We have our ups and downs. Sometimes we're in a great mood when we come to church. Other times, not so much. But we don't have to pretend that we're perfect when we're around each other. We can just relax. We can be ourselves. And and that is why the Bible refers to Christians as brothers and sisters in Christ. 
Okay, we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Think about your own brothers and sisters. You don't have to pretend, you could just be yourself. And so that's what we're like when we're growing up together in the house of God. So we come to the third point, the exhortation to stay home. When we come to verse 6, uh, we see the first of three warnings in this chapter. Now, these three warnings are, are really about the same thing. As the Hebrew Christians were struggling to keep their faith in Christ, you know, they were, they were undergoing intense persecution. Um, they wanted to revert back to Judaism because of that. They were being persecuted by their own people, by other Jewish people that weren't Christians. And they were being persecuted by the Romans for being Christians. So they were, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place. You know, we can, um, we can kind of imagine what it was like for them. Um, you know, for a Jewish person to leave their religion, it wasn't just, oh, I'll just change religions one day and I'll be something else. No, that they had to leave their culture. And that's hard for us as, as Westerners to understand. Uh, they had to leave their family. Okay, they were often ostracised for being Christians. And it still happens today. And they had to identify with this new group of people who called themselves Christians, followers of Christ Jesus. So they were, they were ostracised by their, by their own fellow Jews and they were disowned by their own families and yet they were being persecuted by the government of the day. So we can kind of start to get a picture of the kind of uh, struggle that they were facing. And so the author of Hebrews warns them about the danger of leaving Christ to return to this uh, to their former life in this chapter. And he, he begins with this exhortation in verse 6. says, uh, second half of verse 6 in Hebrews 3 says, uh, But Christ is the son of his own house. Whose house are we if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of the home of the hope firm unto the end? So this is the first uh, warning or exhortation. He also uh, then ramps it up in verse 12. It says, Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. And then in verse 14 as well, we have uh, another exhortation or warning. It says, For we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. The warning in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6 is about staying part of the house of Christ. Now this is not speaking about our personal salvation or our justification. Thankfully our, our salvation does not depend on our perseverance or our faithfulness to God. If, we, if it did, then no one would be saved because no one is perfectly faithful to God. Now, our, our salvation is solely by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Our salvation depends only upon the faithfulness of God, and not on our faithfulness. The Bible clearly teaches that once we are saved, we cannot be lost again. So you cannot lose your salvation. And this is called the doctrine of eternal security. Many Christians today do not understand this doctrine very well, or even know about it. 
and many live their whole life unsure about whether they will spend eternity with God in heaven. And uh, look, I I can empathise with people who uh, believe this way because I struggled with this as well. As a young adult, perhaps 18 or 19 years old, I began to have doubts as to whether I was really saved, whether I was really a Christian. You know, as a, as a, as a younger person, I was saved at, at the age of 12. I remember that very clearly. Uh, I believed the gospel, and a short time later I got baptised. But as I, as I grew into a teenager... And as the years went by, you have to understand and think about these things a little bit more. And the thought came to me that each time I committed a sin, I was no longer a Christian. Does that make sense? And it troubled me so much. And I began to have all these doubts as to whether I was actually a Christian or not. I was sinning. And yet I knew that when I was 12, I believed the Lord Jesus Christ and thought, what's going on? So I approached my pastor at the time and he showed me some verses in the Bible. And I probably listened and heard these verses before, but you know, when you're young, you don't really take it all in. And I remember he showed me a couple of verses, uh, John chapter 10 and verse 28. You've got it there in your outline. So you can look it up or you can look it up now. It says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. That's a great verse, and it's, it shows that the safety that, you know, that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, no one can pluck us out of the hand of God. And, and we have this eternal life. It says, they shall never perish. We can't get lost once we're saved. No one can take us out of the hand of Christ. That's a wonderful verse. And the other verse that I remember is 1 John 5 verse 13. It says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And that verse really struck me, because I knew that I had believed at age 12, and that this verse was saying that I could know for sure that I have eternal life. That I could be certain of my salvation. And I remember my pastor saying that, you know, God has said very clearly that we are eternally secure in Christ. And to doubt my salvation was to doubt God's word. And I remember that these words struck me. He said, in essence, if you're doubting God, you're calling him a liar. And, you know, as a teenager, I was, I was blown away. I, I it struck me that God's word is very clear about this matter. And uh, there was no need for, for any more doubt. I remember the doubts disappeared um, as I understood those verses, as I understood the word of God. They're, now, they're just a couple of verses that, I've, that I remember. There's, there's a whole other study in the doctrine of eternal security. But I just wanted to quickly share that experience with you in case there's someone struggling, like I was back then, um, I'm sure someone preached that message, but I probably wasn't listening when I was young. So it's worthwhile going over these things again. Anyway, back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. So we know that it is not speaking about losing our salvation. 
because that cannot happen. Nor is the author saying that there are some people listening to this epistle who are not really Christians but are just pretending to be Christians. That's another interpretation that you might hear. The author isn't saying that. Because you notice that the author of Hebrews includes himself in the warning as he says, if we hold fast. He's including himself. He's speaking to Christians, believers in the Lord Jesus who are saved. He's not addressing a mixture of people, some who are saved and some who aren't. We know this because he he calls them brethren. He addresses them as Christians, as brethren, as believers. Rather, this exhortation that we see in Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6 is about holding fast to our confidence and rejoicing of the hope firmly unto the end. And while ever we do so, we are part of the house of Christ. Okay, we're in the house. We have the safety, the comfort, the warmth, the fellowship, the friendship with other believers. We're in the house while we're doing this. However, the warning for the Hebrew Christians was that if they ceased to hold to their confidence and rejoicing in Christ and return to Judaism, so if they left Christ behind, they would go outside of that household of Christ and they would lose that feeling of safety and comfort that comes from being in the house. They would lose the blessing that comes from being in the house of Christ, the joy that fellowship with God and with other believers brings. They could potentially lose many of the blessings that Christ gives those of us who remain close to him. And we know that happens, doesn't it? Uh, You know, when we're walking with the Lord, when we're uh, in fellowship with God, uh, you know, we're rejoicing, we're confident, we, we have that boldness in Christ. We have that closeness with our fellow believers. But when we let sin come into our lives and when we start to, to, to think about going away from him, what happens? We, we lose that joy. We lose that, that fellowship, that warmth that we have while we're in the house of Christ. And so this is the, the, the warning that we find here in Hebrews. Uh, the, the confidence there speaks of assurance. It's that, that feeling of certainty that we have and the boldness of the gospel. Uh, you know, we have a close communion with God uh, when we're with him. Uh, we, have a, we have that fellowship with the Lord. We can pray with confidence. We can evangelize with confidence. And then the rejoicing has to do with our attitude. That, that word is not just about being happy. It's talking about a boasting of the Lord Jesus Christ in a, in a good way. Uh, we can rejoice in the blessings of being in the house of Christ, of, of, of the superiority of Jesus to anything else in this life. And when we're rejoicing in this way, we don't complain about our circumstances. We're rejoicing in this hope. Sure, we might go through struggles in our life, but there is still that joy, there is still that, uh, that boasting in the Lord Jesus Christ. The word hope here in Hebrews 3 and verse 6 is not used here really anywhere in the New Testament uh, like we would normally use it today, you know, uh, I, I hope one day that you know uh, I'll uh, I'll have a nice car, for instance, or I hope one day that you know I can save up some money. 
And, you know, that's, there's not a lot of certainty in that. No, the, the word hope here is a confident expectation. Okay, it's a confident, it's expecting that it will, it will happen. There's not any uncertainty about that kind of hope. And uh, when, when we see uh, later on in Hebrews chapter 11, the uh, definition of faith, it says, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I, lo- I love that definition of faith. The substance, you know, it's so tangible, you can almost feel it. it it's, it's real, that hope that we have. Now, some of us here may be struggling like the Hebrew Christians were. Uh, we're sometimes tempted to go back to the world, uh, to leave Christ aside. You know, to go outside of the, the household of Christ because uh, we think that it's going to solve the problems that we're going through. But it, but it doesn't. It won't. It won't solve any problems. Rather, we, we can lose the blessings that come from being in the house, from being close to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think that this uh, Hebrews chapter 3 is just a great reminder that our relationship with Jesus is better than anything else. And sometimes we forget that. We, we, we get so caught up in life that we think that there are better things than being close to Jesus. There's, there's not. Being close to Christ, being in his house, is better than anything. And remaining in his house brings greater joy than leaving our Saviour. Amen. Let's pray.